This is It Just Takes One. One person, one experience, one idea, one moment to change your life. Here's what's coming up on today's show. I wanted to kind of grab somebody gently by the shoulders and say, can't you see? You are such a miracle. You are a piece of the divine. God made you for a reason. And, you know, not only your body and the physical, chemical nature of like even just turning carbon dioxide to oxygen, like, wow, that blows my mind. But all the things. There's your physical body, but then there's the you that's you. When I turned 50, I made the decision to stop coloring my hair. My hairdresser had assured me that my hair was gray enough on its own that it would turn gray. And I finally said, enough is enough. It's truly one of the best decisions I ever made. However, at the time, I received a lot of resistance from other people. A lot of people wanted to tell me that I shouldn't do this because it was going to make me look old. And, you know, why would I do that? Why would I want to look older than I am? And it made me think at the time, it made me think a lot about these expectations and idealisms that we put on women in our culture, that we need to look younger, that there's something great about looking an age that you're not, um, or trying anything in your power to look that way. And that extends to things like weight loss as well, that there is an expectation that we need to be a certain number on a scale or have a certain type of um, athletic form um, if we're going to be pretty and beautiful or that we have to wear, you know, a certain size jeans. Otherwise, there's something wrong with us. I could go on and on about why we do that. <laughs> it's not healthy. Certainly, but I'm bringing it up today because my guest on today's episode is Lizzie Merritt. Lizzie Merritt is many, many things. She is a life coach. She is a professional weight loss coach. She is a new best-selling author of her book, You Are a Miracle, How to Lose Weight and Love Your Body Too. And she's also one of my closest friends. So this was an absolute treat and an honor to be able to talk with her about her book. And if you have ever struggled in any way with the expectations that society puts on us and felt like there was something wrong with you or that there was something that made you not worthy um, because you didn't meet those expectations, then you are going to love this conversation. I will let Lizzie take it from here, and I'm going to just invite you to sit back and listen in as Lizzie Merritt shares her story. Lizzie, I am so happy to finally have a chance to have this conversation with you. Welcome to It Just Takes One. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, for, for you listeners, you don't probably recognize or know that Lizzie and I have the opportunity to work together through the Todd Durkin God Size Dreams coaching program. We co-coach the program and we're creating a, an impact coaching certification program right now. So I get a chance, Lizzie, to talk to you frequently and, and regularly, but today is a little bit different because today we are going to talk about your 
recent best-selling book, You Are a Miracle, How to Lose Weight and Love Your Body Too. Love this book. So excited to talk with you about it. But what I want to start with, Lizzie, is um, as much as I get a chance to talk to you, as much as I know about you, there are oh, so many things that even as I was reading the book and going through it with you that I learned about you. And I just want to start by by just talking a little bit about how you got into being a weight loss specialist, a weight loss expert. What is it? Tell a little bit of the backstory. I knew some of it, but even as I read the book, I learned some new pieces of that. So I'd love for you to start there and share a little bit about how you got into this practice to begin with. Well, thank you, Kelly. And thank you for the opportunity to be here. And I know the listeners right now can't see me, but I just like beaming with a huge smile and get the chance to chat with you as I am so blessed to do on a regular basis. Um, so it's interesting as well that you, that, uh, you refer to me as a weight loss specialist, because I would almost refer to myself as almost like a, a person to, who helps people love themselves and weight loss is a lovely byproduct from that. Um, so how did I get into that? I, um, I was an athlete growing up and that was great. And I got married and had kids and, you know, put on some extra pounds and a friend of mine, uh, took me out for my birthday one year and said, what are you doing next month? Because I'm starting the strollers rides franchise and you have to come. And I said, well, I guess I'm coming. And so I, I went to her stroller strides franchise and, and, you know, we, we worked out together and this was wonderful. And then she um, needed to have some relief for maternity leave and asked me if I would coach in her place. And I was like, yeah, great. I can do that. And it turned out that I loved it. I had no idea that I would enjoy teaching fitness. And at the same time, the longer I did that, the more I stood up in front of the class, the more I felt like such an imposter because I was struggling on the inside. I did not feel comfortable in my own skin I did not feel like I had lost the baby weight to the place where I wanted to be. And I, I felt like I needed, I felt like this kind of growing sense of hustle that I needed to figure this out so that I could teach it to our clients and, you know, all the diets, all the intense workouts. And uh, I still wasn't seeing what I wanted to see in the mirror. And I remember, you know, reading another diet book, you know, how many can you count and just feeling so frustrated and looking up one day and like, this is ridiculous. If diet and exercise are not getting me where I want to be, there's got to be more to it. There's got to be there is something about what's in my head. And that kind of kicked off a journey of trying to figure out what is it that keeps us from feeling happy and comfortable on our own skin, whether you're a size two or a size 20, you know, it that the size really is is not the main point. The main point is how do you feel about you? And as I began to investigate this more, I, I remember so vividly having a moment of doing kind of a mental exercise uh, and trying to appreciate each organ within my body. Like, okay, my body is, is this machine. This is interesting. And I almost clicked. It was like, God gave me this living, breathing, self-healing organism to live inside of and experience this life through this body. Everything that is amazing comes through this body. What a beautiful gift. And the more I could feel that my body was a miracle, it made me see other people as a miracle too. And I just wanted to be like, don't you see how incredible you are? It doesn't matter what the scale says. You can be so happy and in awe of the gift that you are today. 
And if you want to lose weight, we can talk about that too. So good. I love that you were careful in choosing those words and saying, instead of weight loss expert, really, you know, someone who helps you learn how to love yourself. And your your subtitle is love your body too. What? I, we could probably talk for hours about this, but it's it's a really curious thing to me. What are some of the reasons that we learn not to love our bodies? Where does that come from? And in your experience, you know, what's, what is it that, that leads up to this spot where we just cannot find a way to love this beautiful, miraculous piece of, of work that we are? Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's a couple of reasons, um, particularly as women, and, and certainly it's more and more men as well, uh, but I'm going to speak mostly to women, is that we're kind of raised to look beautiful, but not think you look beautiful. It, and, you know, if you think about socially, uh, it's a th- it's it's a threat to to think you look beautiful because then you're egotistic. Then you're you know you you would be kind of cast out of the tribe. And our subconscious mind does anything it can to fit in with the tribe because back in you know survival or caveman days, being cast out of the tribe meant death. And so our brains are wired to fit in with the tribe. So we want to look pretty because that's what the tribe says is acceptable, but we don't want to think we look pretty. And the uh, model of what pretty quote unquote is, at least in our day and age is, you know, thin and whatever it is, uh, you know, back in the medieval times, it was voluptuous, but like the times are what they are. Our society tells us to look, excuse me, to be accepted as, beautiful, you have to look this way. And so when we don't look that way, our subconscious mind has a disconnect, a cognitive dissonance and says, oh no, I might get cast out of the tribe. So I have to fix myself. So then we go on a diet and the diet industry does another number on us, which says, follow these rules. It's super simple. Just do A, B, C, D and blah, voila, you will lose weight. The problem is Diets don't teach us what to do when it's, you know, 437 and the dog just pooped on the floor and you've had a long day at work and, oh my gosh, mom just called and, and you know, there's bad news about dad or whatever. And you, you, you following the rules in that moment is not part of the picture. And so we feel like we are the problem when we can't follow the diet's simple rules. Because if it was simple, well, I must be the idiot that can't follow the rules. And I say that the diet is the one that's the problem because it doesn't it doesn't take into account life. It doesn't teach you what to do when inevitable things happen. And so we've got number one, our survival brain is trying to get us to fit into the tribe. Number two, when we don't fit into the tribe, diets say, just do this simple thing. And then number three, when we can't do the simple thing, which is not all that simple, we feel like we are the problem and we shame ourselves. And that shame makes us feel bad. What, do, what does our brain know makes us feel better? Sugar, salt, and fat. There we go. Yeah. I mean, there's so many pieces to that. And I, you know, when I was training, one of the things people would say is, you know, what's the best diet? What's the best diet? And I used to say, mm-hmm. part of the problem is diet starts with three words that our brain rebels against, or three letters, right? It starts with D-I-E. Oh. And our right. brain immediately senses it and instinctively rebels against it. So mm-hmm. inevitably they will fail 
even if there's some success at times, they can fail because our brain is seeing a word that it doesn't like. So, so what you're doing as you're working with people and in your book is, is really examining the, the way that our brain works and how to use the way that our brain works to work with you, not against you. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's one of the things that, um, my clients say to me most often is, okay, yes, we've been working on some of the tactical things to make the scale move, but really what the, the best benefit is, is just this freedom of thought. I feel so free because, you know, we, we want to lose weight, but why? And the reason why most of the time is to be able to feel good about ourselves, to be able to feel free of this, um, cloud of thoughts that we carry around about ourselves. And that's kind of why I said, I'm not necessarily a weight loss expert. It, it, it presents itself that way, but really what I'm great at is helping people feel like you're not the problem. Your brain is a beautiful mechanism and it's wired the way it is. And you've been made to feel like you're broken, like you're wrong because you can't follow that the diet. I say the diet is, you know, however well-intentioned, not designed the way our brains work. And so let's start with, it's okay to be flawed and let's go from there. And so, so many of my clients say like, I just feel so much freer that, you know, if I make a mistake, it's not a big deal. It's not, you know, it's more like when I make a mistake, because that's going to happen. And, and the conversation you, you, you begin to have with yourself just becomes much kinder and more generous and like a loving, compassionate friend rather than you know, this kind of taskmaster that said, I can't believe you blew it again. Yeah. 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 You actually, at the end of the book, and we'll get to it, you actually give the readers the imperfect toolbox, right? 15 mm -hmm. tools that they can put in their box because life is not perfect. We are not perfect. There are always, you know, the goods and the bads and the uglies that happen for all of us. Um, and so I, I will, we'll talk about that in a little bit. I want to stay with this, the, the way that our brain works. So, so if, if I'm a listener right now, and I'm think, nodding my head <laughs> along with what you're saying, because <laughs> it's like, yes, yes, that's exactly what happened to me. And, and I feel like I'm, something's wrong with me. And I, I want to know more about how to use my brain and use, use, do this in a way that allows me to do it rather than resisting it. Where does somebody begin? Where, where was, mm. if that person is listening, where does, where does he or she begin this process? It's a really good question. And there's many places to choose from, but I think that the most fundamental foundational place to start is with the conversation with yourself. Um, because as I, we were talking about with the the kind of the diet cycle. And when we can't follow the rules, we think that we're the problem. And when, when I feel like I'm an idiot because I can't follow the, the diet's rules, I, I then feel shame. I feel like something's wrong with me. And that feeling of shame, and I want to be very, very clear, that shame feeling that we keep on ourselves creates a downward spiral. It, you know, it, it, shame makes us hide as Brene Brown likes to say. And, and when you can offer yourself self-compassion, that changes everything. Um, and self-compassion, if anyone's not familiar with it, is a relatively straightforward thing, but there's lots of beautiful exercises you can do around it. But it's basically, how would you treat a friend? 
So if you had a friend and you were having coffee with your friend and they said, I can't believe, you know, I was on this diet and I was doing great for six days. And then on day seven, it was Friday and I just went all out. And I feel like I've, I've, I've ruined all the progress that I made. And like, why did I even bother starting in the first place? Would you tell your friend, you're right. That was stupid. No, you would tell your friend, like, come on, it's okay. And, you know, you, 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 you look beautiful anyway. And imagine what you would tell a friend. And so the place to start is with the conversation with yourself and trying to shift that mental conversation from shame to self-compassion. And if you're not even sure where to start, then I would say, just start trying to hear the conversation in your head, because a lot of times it is so um, kind of beneath the surface that you don't even notice the words you're saying to yourself. So if you can kind of bring those, that conversation more to the surface and become aware of what you're saying to yourself and recognize it is genuinely making things worse for you is making it harder to lose weight. Um, because a, a lot of times I, I'll hear people say, you know, I would never say to somebody else the things that I say to my own, to myself, but it's almost a, like a, um, a badge of courage. Um, and I would say, okay, maybe in the past you felt that way, but let's drop that because again, when you feel shame, you feel bad. When you feel bad, your brain wants to help you feel better. And the brain's quick go-to to help you feel better is sugar, salt, and fat because it lights up the dopamine uh, receptors in your brain. And so it literally becomes a cycle. And so shaming yourself makes you less likely to succeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we could talk again for hours on all of that as yeah. we have, because you and I often talk about how how our brains function and how we have these yes. uh, stories that we tell ourselves and, and, and how that plays into our actions and our outcomes. Um, but also I know one of the things you talk about and what you're, what you're describing there is, is we get these ingrained patterns, right? We have these patterns where somewhere along the line, we started that story that I'm mm -hmm. somehow something's wrong with me because I sure. fell off the wagon on a Friday and didn't, didn't stay on track or, you know, uh, everyone else can do it, but not me. Um, you know, these stories that we tell ourselves Do you, how do you work with that? When you're working with somebody, how do you help them begin to bring to the surface, those stories and the, and the, the internal chatter that they hear so that they can begin to see that there are other ways for their brain to focus in, in, in ways that might get them toward their goals? Mm, that's a good question. And it can depend. Um, so I'll give you two examples. Um, so if someone is only aware of the, uh, the, the presenting symptom, so let, so what I mean by that is, um, I do great on my diet for breakfast and lunch. And then, at, you know, predictably around 445 every day, I've just you know, I had an extra snack and I feel like I blew it. So I might as well have whatever I want because I fell off the wagon anyway. And then dinner, dessert, the rest of the night is just blown. And I wake up the next morning feeling like, oh, okay, I have to start over again. So that's the presenting symptom, the, the behavior from 4.45 on. If, if you're not aware of what's going on, no, no problem. What I would say is simply write it down. So as soon as like we would probably create a as doable as possible, a very flexible meal plan. And the goal is not necessarily to stick to the plan perfectly because we don't. The plan is to get curious 
around what's going on in your brain when you want to go off the plan. And so uh, I actually keep a note in my phone, which is labeled note, because I have all my embarrassing, shameful thoughts in there. And I don't want anyone else to ever read it. And so I wanted to make like nobody would want to read just note. And but it's in my phone because it's always near me. Um, whereas a piece of paper is a little bit, you know, further away. Plus, it's, you know, actually in a piece of paper, someone could read it. So at any rate, I tell my clients, get out your phone and just jot down everything that's in your head. There's no no filter, no judgment, just the whole goal of this exercise is just to become aware of it, just to see what it what are the thoughts you're thinking? Get them out there. You don't have to do anything with it. You just got to see it. That's it. Um, in other cases, there can be um, something deeper. Like, for example, um, I had a client once who said she was um, getting married. And so she was getting ready for her wedding and wanted to you know, look amazing. But she was feeling some pressure. And when her fiance would go to work, she would find herself secretly eating the snacks in the house all day. And he would come home and be like, where's the whatever snack? And she felt shame about this. And so she, so the presenting symptom, the behavior was eating in secret. And any kind of behavior that you do in secret definitely is an indicator of some, some hidden shame. And so what we did then was we investigated, okay, where did you learn in your past to eat in secret? What, where did you learn that it was not okay to eat a snack or to whatever it is. Um, and so you decided, you know, your, your kind of child brain, your subconscious brain said, well, I still want it. So I'm going to eat it in secret and that you learn to hide it away. Um, and so that was when we kind of digged into some of the stories in her past. So, um, you know, I would start with what's the presenting symptom, the behavior, and then just write down your thoughts about it or see where it might have begun somewhere in your past. Yeah, so really, really, really good. And I'm sure people, even myself, I'm thinking about things as you're saying it. I'm sure people are are thinking about that. Um, I, I think that there is, you know, there are so many layers to how we get into these behaviors, right? How how mm-hmm. how they come to us, how we learn them, whether it's from when we were young or something that was reinforced along the way. Another thing that you talk about in the book that has to do with that, not just the story, but the actual language, the actual words that we're saying in our head, but also outwardly to that keep us from reaching our goals. I'm thinking of a particular example. You talk about the word, but for example, using the word, but, um, and using it as a way of beginning to shift the story, beginning to shift that pattern that you have learned mm-hmm. somewhere along the line. Share with the listeners a little bit about that. That's just one example, but that as a tool. Sure. Thanks. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. So there's once you have be, gotten some awareness around those thoughts that you have, like you've got that note in your phone that's labeled note because it's got all your you know crazy thoughts in there. Then you'd be like, okay, that's that that kind of thinking is something I want to shift towards the positive. But let's let's just take, for example, one of your thoughts is, I hate my body. You can't magically go from, I hate my body to, I love my body. And your brain be like, well, of course it's true. You know, there will be part of your subconscious mind that will call BS on that thought and be like, yeah, but now I'm just lying to myself. And that can, that can be even more detrimental. Um, and so like the affirmation movement 
again, is well-intended, but can sometimes have uh, negative consequences if your subconscious mind does not find any truth in the positive thought. So you kind of go for uh, an in-between thought. I call them stair-step thoughts. They've been called all kinds of things, like ladder thoughts, or I even heard one person call them like monkey bars, like you're swinging from one bar to the next. So you're trying to get from a low-level thought to a higher-level thought, but you can't jump from one to 10. So you go from one to two. So let's say, for example, my negative thought is I hate my body. So you could use the word but because the word but negates everything that came in front of it. So like, for example, you would never want to hear from your loved one, Kelly, I love you, but like whatever comes next, it's like it just got rid of, you know, I love you. So, but you can use that to your advantage. So I hate my body, but I'm working to improve every day. I hate my body, but I'm looking for things that I can appreciate about myself all the time. Or I hate my body, but I am you know, focusing on the ways that my body gives me the experiences that I enjoy in this life, whatever it is. So you can use that word, but to negate the, the, tr- the feeling that feels true, but it's very negative and move slightly towards a higher level thought. It sounds so simple. And of course, you know, my NLP background, I love this stuff. Yes. It sounds so simple. Obviously, everything is a practice. Uh, and, 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 but also understanding the bigger construct that you cannot go from one to 10 because your brain will reject that and, Mm -hmm. and, and just say, dismiss it. Um, but you can take those small steps. And, And that's another thing you talk about, um, that, that small steps, that 1%, right. That little 1% can multiply pretty quickly. If you just keep taking that, talk a little bit about that concept of 1%. Sure. So, um, if you're, you know, one of the things that is also frustrating to me about diets, other than the fact that they make it seem so simple when they don't, they disregard, you know, the whole iceberg underneath the surface, Another thing about that is that diets often ask you to change a whole lot of things all at once. And that most definitely goes against the way your brain is wired. Because if you think about your survival brain back in caveman days, uh, any kind of change in the environment usually meant a predator, usually meant a threat. And so our lower level, more primitive brains are wired to look for any kind of change and say, danger change is bad. And so a diet is a change. It's a change in how you eat. It's a change in how you behave. Ideally, it'd be a change in how you think, but of course diets don't set you up that way. They just say, do this differently. And when you change a whole lot of things all at once, that's a massive change. And your subconscious mind is literally fighting against it. And so you find yourself doing self-sabotaging behaviors. Like you can willpower your way through for a while, but self-sabotaging behaviors will come up, not because you're weak-willed, but because your subconscious mind is literally trying to get you back to quote unquote normal, what it used to be because it resists change. So the way to work with your brain is to make tiny changes, 1% changes that don't feel threatening to the subconscious mind. So uh, here's an example. A lot of times people ask me, you know, okay, Lizzie, these, these thought changes are really great and they're helpful. 
And I want to see the scale move. Can you give me any advice on like, practically speaking, what's the change in my diet and my nutrition that I can make that could make a difference? I say, okay. It's not really fair, but some foods have an outsized impact on our weight loss efforts than others. In particular, starchy carbs. So bread, rice, pasta. Those kinds of foods act like a sponge and they hold on to water in the body. Like you can imagine anything that you put in a bowl of water on your kitchen counter and it, whatever it does in the bowl of water, it will do in your body. So an apple isn't going to change much. A piece of bread is going to soak that up and it's going to hold on to that water. Same thing happens in your body. And of course you see the results on the scale. So you could take that to mean like, okay, I'm going no carb, no sugar, no flour. We're done. I would definitely recommend against that pattern. So the 1% change would be instead of going no anything, count up how many times in a week do you have a serving of bread or rice or pasta? Let's say it's eight, you know, for, for all those things. And then I say, all right, between bread, rice, and pasta, which would you miss the least? And, you know, for me, for example, I don't eat rice very often. I don't, doesn't, doesn't matter to me one way or another. And so I say, well, I really wouldn't miss rice. I'd be like, great. How about one less serving of rice next week? That's where you start with a 1% change. One less serving of the thing that you would miss the least. You know, if you want to take it a little further, you know, one less serving of the you know two things that you would miss the least. But I would not recommend cutting everything cold turkey because that you know translates to one of those massive changes. Your subconscious mind sees it as a, it as a threat and works against that. Yeah, it really good, really, really, really good. You give a lot of those kinds of techniques, uh, and I mentioned earlier you the end, you put the imperfect toolbox with 15 specific tips on, on ways to make changes that your brain will allow and, and accept mm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. in a perfectly imperfect way. Uh, what tell, tell viewers, what is the imperfect toolbox? Why did you decide to put that into the book and, and put it toward the end of the book? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, writing a book is such a journey and um the book sort of matured over time and i began to realize that there was sort of two sections there's the whole section on how to think differently and then there's the actual practical tips and tools that you can use to uh to to change your behavior and what most people are looking for are the tips and tools most people want that like easy fix and i put that at the end because i want you know the easy fix is not going to have a sustainable impact if you don't change the way you think first. Nevertheless, those tips and and tools and tactics can be very useful. So um, I put them all together in a toolbox to act as like, again, I I use the the term toolbox very purposefully because I wanted to use the metaphor of here is a resource of tools you can have that you can pull out depending on the situation you're, you're facing. There is no one tool that's going to be perfect for every situation because life is imperfect. Life is messy. So here's kind of a set of frameworks that you can use and try and apply to various situations that come up in life when, you know, life isn't perfect. Yeah, truth. Very, very true. Let me just read the titles of these just so the listeners get a chance to hear kind of what some of these tools are. Tool number one, how to meal plan. Tool number two, how to experiment with intermittent intermittent fasting. Tool number three, how to make weekends your weight loss friend. 
Tool number four, how to not blow everything when eating at restaurants. Tool number five, how to manage portions. Number six, how to reduce sweets. Number seven, how to handle a snack attack. Number eight, how to handle stress eating. Number nine, how to handle increased cravings from exercise. Number 10, how to drink more water and why. Number 11, how to feel good in your clothes. Number 12, how to not get wrapped up in your thoughts. <laughs> Number 13, how to get better sleep. Number 14, how to handle the holidays. Number 15, how to handle travel. Now, again, as you described, those are some of them are going to be pertinent at different times and some for some people and some for not. I do want to just for a moment, though, pause on tool number 14, because as we're recording this, it is the Monday before Thanksgiving. The mm -hmm. podcast will probably air be between now and, thing and Christmas, actually, before the end of the year. So we are literally rolling into the holiday season as we speak. So maybe stop on that one for a moment and share two or three things for the holidays, mm -hmm. some tips that might be useful for people that are listening to this right now. Sure. Um, where to start? There's so many different things. I'll try and keep it um, concise. Uh, so first, I would think ahead. Um, it's so easy to get wrapped up in the busyness of the season and to say, I'm just so busy, I don't have time to plan. Or, you know, I, we have all these uh, holiday events that we have to go to, and I don't know what's going to be served there. And you end up being uh, very reactive to your schedule, to the season, to the stress. To all the things. And so do yourself a favor out of love to, by sitting down and just thinking out the, you know, however many weeks it is of the holiday season that you've got going. When is your travel? Where are you going to be? What are you worried about? Get it out. Think about it. Because those worries that, are, that we don't necessarily consciously uh, articulate to ourselves, a lot of times it is those worries that end up on our plate and, and then in our tummies because we we don't want to feel the, the 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 anxiety and so we eat it away and there's a prevalence of opportunities to eat and so it kind of becomes this perfect storm so give yourself the chance to think through what am i worried about what's what's coming up whose feelings am i worried that you know i might hurt if i do this or that or even just travel i i find travel kind of stressful and so like that that's the thing if you find travel stressful how, how can you plan for that um, number two is I would suggest try and make a plan. Even if you don't know what's going to be served, try and think about it in terms of systems. Like, well, I don't know exactly what's going to be served, but I can uh, have a smaller portion of meat and a larger portion of vegetables. Or I know there's probably going to be a couple of different dessert options. If all three of them look great, I'm going to have you know a half of a portion of each, or I'm going to take my top two favorite ones and like have a half a portion of those. Again, thinking of in systems, because a lot of times we give ourselves the excuse of, well, I don't know what's going to be there, so how can I possibly plan for it? And you can by by giving yourself kind of a framework rather than an exact, you know, I will have four ounces of turkey breast and three ounces of cranberry sauce, um, and. Then I also would suggest uh, don't arrive hungry. A lot of times we'll eat less in the in the day of coming to a big dinner, or you know, if you're going to a party, you know, try and eat less before you get there, and that actually can end up you can end up eating more. And so, if you're heading to a party or you know, big big holiday dinner, try and 
you don't have to necessarily eat normally, but try and eat as healthy as you can. And so that you're not arriving starving to the meal um, and, you know, have a plan for that. And then also think ahead. How do you want to feel on Monday morning or on January 1st? What, whatever the, the future self, the future you, how do you want to feel on that day? Really put yourself in future you's shoes. Do you want to look back on the holidays and be like, oh my God, I blew it. You just like feel so bloated and gross. Or do you want to feel like that was great and I'm setting myself up for a really good year. And then I really identify how you want to feel and then work backwards and to figure out how you can kind of reverse engineer that future feeling that you want to have. Such great, great ideas. And I hope that listeners are taking some notes or pausing this and going back and taking some notes. <laughs> uh, again, 1% things, simple things, yeah. but just being a little bit more mindful about what you're doing. So we could talk on and on about all of this having to do with weight loss, but I do want to transition just a little bit and talk more about the actual book and the book process. I said at the beginning that I learned a lot about you, even though I know you pretty well, I learned a lot about you as I read the book, one being that you are a beautiful writer. I did know you had a great sense of humor, but I did not know how well you would translate that humor into your writing. There are so many funny, like almost laugh out loud moments in this book that just made my heart sing. Um, I also learned that you are an artist, which I did not know before you began this book. Uh, you actually illustrated the book yourself, created the illustrations for this book. And um, that was a, a unique piece for me to learn about mm -hmm. you as well. So I was discovering things, but I want to hear from you. The, the book writing process is different for everybody. Going through this whole journey is different for everybody. And I would love to hear from you. What was this process like? What was it like to write it, to incorporate the humor, to incorporate your drawings and the skill that you, that you have to draw and translate that way? What was it like? I am so delighted that you asked this question and I'm going to start way back. So I first had an idea to write a book in 2014 and uh, this was also around the same time that I was doing a lot of my internal work around adjusting my body image and, and, you know, feeling amazing about myself and going through the, the very difficult transition from I'm an imposter to I love who I am, no matter what the scale says. Um, and then I decided that nobody would be interested in what I have to say. And I put the idea on a shelf for seven years. And then I uh, got a job working for a weight loss company. And all of those ideas that I had before about, you know, it's it's so much more than just the diet. It's about how you think and about how you feel and how you talk to yourself. These, these all came, came coming back to me. And it was like God was tapping me on the shoulder saying, remember, I told you this idea to write a book. Like, I was serious. Like, let's let's do this. And I, I'll be honest, Kelly, I resisted it. I was like, no, mm -mm, no, not, I'm not a writer. Mm -mm. And I remember getting coaching on it. And finally, you know, after I got over this fear of this just terrible, terr terrifying idea to write a book, I did exactly the opposite of my advice. And I was going to like willpower this thing. And so I was like, I know I'm going to get up at 4am every day and write for an hour, just me and my book. It's going to be great. And that literally worked for a day. And I really felt a ton of fear around just who am I? 
to write a book. And two things changed. Number one, I took my own advice and I did 1% changes. And so I made myself, I did a, you know, atomic habits loop of, uh, I created a, a if then statement or kind of after this, then I will, which was when I get ready to work in the morning, I will write for 15 minutes. So I made it a really small, tiny goal that did not seem scary. And once I finish that, then I can have a reward, uh, which was a cup of coffee. And the 15 minutes was a small enough ask that it did not, again, raise those alarm bells in my subconscious mind that it didn't feel like a big threat and I wasn't resisting it. So it's like, I can write for 15 minutes. I can write a sentence. I can, you know, if I want to keep going, I can keep going. But like the minimum is totally okay. That was one thing that really massively shifted my process. But in my heart, what changed a lot too was beginning to recognize that this book was an, an, an entity in itself. And a lot of times I refer to it in our conversations like uh, almost like a pregnancy. Like I am uh, I'm I'm holding this this thing that wants to be born, and my job is to shepherd it into the world. And I really felt once I was able to let go of my ego. And once I was able to let go of the, like, who am I to write a book and just say, okay, God, fine. You want to write a book? Okay. Let's let you tell me. Then I was able to almost give the book the respect that it wanted and allow it to be written. And that, you know, we've talked about this process before. Like it's, it's hard, kind of hard to describe. Like you remember writing it, but also like, wow, that came out of my mouth. Wow. You know, you talk about the sense of humor and stuff and I remember writing it, but also I don't remember intending to be funny. It just was, I was like, as soon as I let go of trying to be me, I was able to actually be me. <laughs> Profound statement right there, right? As soon as I let <laughs> right. go of trying to be me, I could actually be me. What you're describing is something that I think is a really beautiful space and it's called flow. And, and we yeah. see it with writers. Certainly we see it with athletes, right? That moment where it's coming through you, not necessarily from you. And if you almost get your ego out of the way and just let it, um, stuff just comes out. And and then you go back and you think, I really, I really wrote, that's really good. Like, where did that come yes. from? I don't remember ever exactly. even thinking that. And there it was on the page, you know? Yes. Um, yeah, that's, that's a, a, a beautiful process. You also thought long and hard about the title and what you wanted it to be called. And you ended up with, you are a miracle. Tell a little bit about why you chose that title. Hmm. I think um, it, very, very similar to my previous answer that it just kind of came through me. It was what I found myself wanting to tell people the most. I wanted, you know, I wanted to kind of grab somebody gently by the shoulders and say, can't you see you are such a miracle. You are a piece of the divine. God made you for a reason. And, you know, not only your body and the physical chemical nature of like, even just turning carbon dioxide to oxygen, like, wow, that blows my mind. But all the things, there's your physical body, but then there's the you that's you. Like you are so incredible and amazing and unique. And, you know, we talk about like one of the, another thing that a lot of women have struggle up against is comparison. and you are literally one of a kind. And when there is only one of something, it cannot be compared. And I guess that's, all of that was encompassed in the in the word, excuse me, in the sentence or the title, you are a miracle. There's just, 
that you're physically a miracle. You are personally in your personality, a miracle. You are one of a kind. And I just want you to be able to see it. So good. I actually want to use that as an opportunity to read the last little bit of the book because it goes right to what you're speaking about. Um, if you would mind, could I read the last bit of the Please book? Please do. Here? All right. This is really right at the end. And it says, you have a gift worth giving. Don't wait. Don't sleep on your dream. The world needs what only you can give us. Don't keep waiting to live your life until that moment when you finally lose the weight and feel like you can do the things you want to do. Do them now. Live now. Be 100% fully, gorgeously you now. You deserve it. Remind yourself every day, I have a gift worth giving. My voice was meant to be heard. This life is a gift and it's meant for living, not waiting. And I choose to be all 100% imperfectly me today. Don't wait. We're counting on you. You are a miracle. It's funny. That was the easiest part to write. Mm -hmm. It just came right out and relatively early in the process as well. Just because like if I were to write a letter to you reading this book, here's what I want you to know. And yes, the book is about weight loss because that's what we think we need. And a lot of times we hold ourselves back from expressing and truly shining our light because we don't fit into this, this gene size that we think we're supposed to. And so while I don't believe that there is any magic number, I don't believe there's any magic size. I do believe that weight loss can be a avenue through which it can allow people to let go of some of the shackles and let them shine, not because of the weight, but because of the mental stories we tell ourselves about what the weight is. And so the book is really about just be gorgeously yourself. And if you want to lose weight to do that, let's go. So great. So somebody's right now going, yes, let's go. <laughs> how do they get in touch with you? How, how can they find you so that they can really get started if they want to? Sure. Um, my website is confidentbody.coach. Uh, you can email me at lizzie, L-I-Z-Z-I-E, at confidentbody.coach. And um, I have an Instagram account. I post on it relatively infrequently, um, but uh, my website or my email would be the best place. Fantastic. I'll make sure that's in the show notes so that they get a chance to see that and can click on that if they'd like to. If they'd like to get the book, where can they get the book? It is available on Amazon and uh, just uh, search You Are a Miracle, Lizzie Merritt, two Z's, two R's, two T's. <laughs> double, double everything. Lizzie, <laughs> before we wrap up today, you know that I always like to go deep on the question about what it just takes one means. And so I'm just interested to hear your response. When when you think about the phrase, it just takes one, what does it mean to you? I thought long and hard about this one. And to me, it just takes one is it just takes one choice. And it would be easy to think, oh, it just takes one choice. I could choose the apple or the donut. And that's not actually what I mean. I mean, it just takes one choice to choose the thought that serves you the thought that empowers you, the thought that makes you feel a little bit better about yourself today than the other thought, than the thought you thought yesterday. It just takes one choice to choose 
hey, maybe I'm not where I want to be, but I'm I'm making progress every day. But you know, those 1% choices, those 1% thoughts, it all starts with a thought, with a choice. So good. One choice. Love that. Well, my friend, always, always a pleasure to talk with you. I am so excited for the book. So excited to see where it takes you and, and the people that get a chance to work with you will be certainly changed, transformed by that experience. And I know that because I get a chance to work with you so frequently. So thank you. Thank you for everything that you're doing. You too are a miracle, my friend. Love you. Thank you. I received that. I love you too. And thank you for the opportunity to be here. It has just been a blessing. Very good. I know I'll talk to you soon. I was trying to think about the most important message that I want to leave you with after that conversation, the thing that I want to reiterate so that you can take it with you as you finish this podcast today. And it occurred to me that something that Lizzie said toward the end of the episode was probably the most impactful message that we could give you. And that is this. Take some time to really look in the mirror. See the light that shines within you. And remember that you are a miracle. Such a powerful message. I hope you feel that today. I hope you take that with you. Remember that no matter where you are on your journey. And please continue to follow Lizzie. As you can tell, she's got lots of great ideas and lots of great love to share. And you can find her obviously with her book, uh, purchasing that on Amazon or follow her on her uh, social media sites. I'll leave all those links in the notes below or check out her new podcast. It's called the Confident Body Podcast, where she gives all kinds of great insights, tips, and ideas as we continue to learn to love our bodies. That's it for me for today. Thank you so much for tuning into It Just Takes One. We appreciate you following us and, and following our authors here at Scripture Publishing Group. If you or anyone you know is interested in writing a book, please contact us. We'd love to talk with you and help take you from dream to published. <laughs>